This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. As fathers and men of God. Um, so this is what the word of the Lord says. So we'll read uh, through 15 and we'll talk about it. It says, Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Heres, and he caught a young man of Sakoth and questioned him. And the young man wrote down for him the names of the 77 officials of Sakoth, the elders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Sakoth, Here is Zeba and Zamuna, about whom you taunted me by saying, do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zamuna in your possessions? Why should we give bread to your exhausted men? All right, so it, just in case if you missed last week, Gideon, there are the, the Midianites are on the run. Uh, they already took out two of their head kings. Uh, there's two other leaders that they're chasing, which is Zamuna and Zeba. And they're like, we're going to go get them uh, because we are cutting ties with the Midianites. We are... They're destroying, they've oppressed Israel for the last seven years. This is it. God has given them into our hands. But Gideon and his 300 men are exhausted and they're tired. So they stop by two cities, Zakoth and Peniel. And they ask them, like, hey, can you guys feed my men? They're tired, they're exhausted. And both times they said, no, we're not going to do that. And how, how do we even know that? you're going to win this thing. How do you know that you're going to get these kings? How are you going to turn them into your hands? So they rejected Gideon. So Gideon is like, okay, well, I'm going to go get them. And I'm going to come back and whoop all y'all. I'm going to show you guys not to disrespect me like this again. Doesn't really sound like this godly leader that we kind of saw lead his people into battle. So he's starting to kind of lean into kind of his own uh, like, yes, like, we did this thing. How come you guys are rejecting me and my men when really it's, these are the Lord's people? So look what happens. Look at 13. So Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle. So he's, he, he went, he got the kings. He's coming all the way back around. And then it's interesting in verse 14, it says, He caught a young man of Sakath and questioned him. And the young man wrote down for him the names of the 77 officials of Zakat, the elders of the town. Listen, this guy spent no time ratting everybody out. Straight up 6'9", the man. I know. They're like, hey, who are the officials? All right, it's so-and-so. His address is here. I mean, I, we don't know if, there, you know if this young man was threatened. We, we don't know that. But what we do know is that this young man was from the city of Zakat. But I think one of the most, one of the important details for us not to miss is the names. There are 77 officials of Sakath. These are the elders of the city. So these are the elders that help run the city. 77 of them. This is not a small city. This is a pretty large city. 
which kind of indicates that they were more than capable of helping Gideon and his 300 men. Like to feed 300 guys, there's 77 officials, they're more than capable to help him. But what he's saying is that he got all the names of the elders of the town, and now Gideon is circling back around. He's coming back to the city. He's keeping his promise here. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Sakath, here is Zeba and Zalmunu. Now, and then now watch, Gideon's going to start showing some receipts here. About whom you taunted me by saying, do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunu in your possession? Why should we give bread to you and your exhausted men? So what he's doing now is that he's, he's showing them. He's like, remember you guys like said I wouldn't be able to do this? And I was going to come back and just take care of all you guys? Well, guess what? I'm back. Here are the two kings that you said I was never going to be able to get. And, and then he starts, oh, and remember you said these exact words. You know, it's almost kind of spiteful. It's like a revenge type attitude. Whenever you want to prove somebody wrong, when people are like, you can't do that, you'll never be able to start. you never. And, and it's like our, our like greatest aspiration is to go up to the person that said we would never be able to do something and recite to them everything that they said we were never going to be able to do. But the issue here is that this is not coming out of, look what God did. This is coming out of a place of pride. This is, no, 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 like you said, I wouldn't be able to do this. You didn't have faith in me. and No, so, so look what happened. So look in verse 16. So then he took the elders of the town and taught the men of Sakath a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. You see, the thing was, like these towns, they didn't want to help Gideon unless victory was assured to them. They didn't have faith in what Gideon was going to go do. So they rejected Gideon. Gideon's like, all right, well, let me, uh, I'm going to have to teach y'all a lesson. So he takes the 77 elders, brings them out in the public eye, and then it says he uses desert thorns and briars. So think of like a switch. Anybody ever been what with a switch before? You see a lot of the older folks are like, mm-hmm. The younger folks are like, you're, you're allowed to get hit? Like, no, no, like, yeah, it's like, doesn't that abuse? Like, not from, yeah, he, let's discuss, you know. So, so it's like taking like a, a thing of thorns and, and imagine just going around and just, just beating them, just whipping them down, leaving cuts and scratches all over their bodies. And so Gideon literally, he publicly whipped the leaders of the city of Sakath with thorns and thistles. And this was a method of public rebuke. You see, he didn't do this behind closed doors. He didn't do this in chambers. He put it out where everybody could see it to let everyone know that I am rebuking your leadership here. So they just went around. He whooped all of them down. And then look what he also does in verse 17. He also pulled down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the town. Ooh, that was a little bit more. That was a little tougher, a little bit harsher punishment. So what's the explanation for this? You see, like, when we read something like this, like, dang, that was pretty intense. But there had to be a justification for such a severe penalty. So what, we, what, what uh, some commentators and, and some theologians are saying is that in Peniel, like, they might have been significant supporters of the Midianites, or they might have betrayed Israel. 
So the penalty in the eyes of Gideon was a lot harsher there. But in a little bit, we'll learn a little bit more Peniel, and, and there's, there's more to this than we think. So he goes and he kills all the men of the town, and he rips down their tower. So in these larger cities, they have, like, these big towers that serve kind of, like, to watch when, like, the enemies are coming. I mean, it's like if you go to, like, a, a Texas town, and the first thing you see is, like, those water towers. Is There's, like, a weird pride behind that. I know if you're not from Texas, you won't get it. But so Gideon goes in there and he yanks that thing down and he kills all the men of this of the town, which is like, calm down, Gideon. But we'll see. So look at verse 18. So now look what happens. So he goes, he gets these kings. He's coming back because he said he would. And he he just he whips the elders of the town of Sakoth. He kills the men and tears down the, the tower in the, the town of Peniel. And then now it gets interesting. Now he's going to deal with both of the Midianite kings. Look at verse 18. Then he asked Zeba and Zalmunna, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered, each one with a bearing of a prince. So we have to look at what, what is he talking about here. You see, there was a place um, south of Manasseh called Mount Tabor, and Mount Tabor, the Israelites would go to this mountain and they would worship God there. They would, they would read the Pentateuch. They would do a lot. You see a lot of churches around called Mount Tabor. And that means that that's where they would gather to worship the Lord. So what these kings did was that these kings went to Tabor and they killed some people there. Not just some people, but people that Gideon knew. So look at the, the question that Gideon asks in 18. What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? So it was almost like Gideon wanted this known and confessed before he executed these two kings. And they were straight up with him, men like you, each one with a bearing of a prince. So they executed not just folks from Manasseh, but almost like the leadership. They, they killed men with the bearing of a prince, those who were kind of leading everything at Tabor. And look how Gideon replies in verse 19. He says, those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. So he literally just told them, you killed my family. You killed brothers. I mean, not just like my brother. Like, no, it's like we're blood. Like, those were from my mom. And as sure as if you would have not killed them, I'm probably not going to kill you. But since you did, yeah, your life is going to end today. It's pretty much what he said. I told you guys, this is like a little weird. All right, so, so after he says that and, and them knowing that a death, certain death is coming, look what he does in verse 20. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he says, hey, kill him. That's how I see it in my mind. Uh, but Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. Zeba and Zomuna said, come do it yourself. As is the man, so is his, is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camels' neck. It's an interesting passage here. So as they're there, he tells his oldest son, 
go ahead and, and, and kill him. Use him as target practice, whatever it is. But because he's just a boy, he can't even get his sword out. He's, he's, he's frightened. But look how the two kings begin to taunt Gideon. And, and we kind of see this. There's, there's three reasons why they respond this way. Reason one, it was Jether was just a boy. So if Gideon wanted to kind of use them as target practice, they knew that this was going to be extremely painful. Like this was not going to end fast. So they started to egg on a little bit. Number two, think about their legacy. Like, I'm a king. I'm not dying at the hands of some boy. So if I'm going to die, it better be from general, some king, other king. Like, it better be a, a warrior. Like, there has to be some kind of honor in my death. And then I think the third one, they just they knew they were going to die, so they wanted it over quick. So just, just do it. I mean, we see this in action movies all the time when, like, one of the heroes or somebody is, like, bound and, and then the, the bad guy is going to, like, take them out. And they're like, you better kill me because if I come back, I'm taking out your whole family. You know, like, all that stuff. So there's, like, this bravery. Like, they start just talking back. So Gideon says, okay. And then what does he say? It says that he stepped forward and killed them. And then it says it took the ornaments off their camel's neck. Off their camels' neck. That was interesting. So we don't know the motives to this. Um, so he takes these crescent ornaments off the king's camel's neck. So some scholars suggest that they represented the, the, this moon god that um, they would worship. So a lot of pagan gods were with the Midianites. And so Gideon removed it. And they said that he either kind of added to the spoils of battle but also those represented the positions of kings. So to take that off of a camel, to take that off of whatever the king was using at that time was symbolic. It was like, yeah, you're no longer king anymore. I, I'm king now. So there, there's a lot behind that. Now, I just, we just read a really interesting passage here that shows us a lot about Gideon and shows us a lot of his personality. But I... I think that there's a couple of things that we can learn from Gideon in this passage. You know, even if, if there were some things that were negative, I think that we could take some things and implement them into our lives, especially us as fathers. You know, so I want to talk a little bit about fathers and dads, um, even like the men of the church. So listen, if you're not a father, don't check out on me because you are a father figure to somebody else. So there might be somebody in your family, somebody around you who doesn't have a father but is looking up to you, men, as a father figure. Um, so, so I just want us to look at a couple of things here. Because even though it was negative, something that we could learn is that, number one, fathers stay true to their word. Fathers stay true to their word. Now, Gideon did this out of spite. You know, he didn't have to come all the way back and prove his worth to the town of Sakoth and Peniel. But one thing I want us to at least recognize here is that Gideon kept his word. He, was, he didn't have to do all that. So he went, he got the kings, but because he told these two cities that he was going to come back and, and show them wrong, he still did it. 
You know, the Bible is real clear. In Proverbs 25, 14, it says, A person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that do not bring rain. You see, like keeping your word, there's something important about that. And, and not just about keeping your word, but what's behind it. Why should we be honest? Why should we keep our word? If I say I'm bringing a Dr. Pepper to a party, why should I make sure I follow through with bringing a Dr. Pepper to a party? If I say I'm going to meet you somewhere, why should I follow through and say I'm going to meet you somewhere? If I promise my kids something, why should I show up and, and do that? Why, why not ghost? Why not change my mind? Why not mix things up? Because there's two things that are starting to kind of go away. It's called integrity and character. And fathers, good fathers, are full of integrity and character. They follow through with what they say. And the thing is not, they don't follow through what they say because of their pride. They do it because they want to live lives of integrity and character and because of the God that they serve. Now Gideon came around and he was wrong. But something that we could learn kind of from the bad guy is like he followed through. And we should look at things in the same manner. The current situation, whatever situation you're going through, should not hinder whether you follow through with your word or not. It doesn't matter. Character and, integ character and integrity are important. So number one, fathers stay true to their words. Number two, you don't send a boy to do a man's job. You don't send a boy to do a man's job. Where are you getting that from? Verse 20. So Gideon pulls out Zalmunna and Zeba. And what does he ask his son to do? Kill them. Now hold on a second. The Lord did not appear to Jether, his son. The Lord spoke to Gideon. The Lord appeared to Gideon in the wine press. The Lord is the one who gave Gideon the vision. The Lord is the one that said, I'm going to give the Midianites over to you if you trust me. So Gideon is the one that is supposed to follow through with the command of the Lord, not his oldest boy. So whatever Gideon was thinking, whether it was target practice, he wanted to teach his son, God did not call his son. God called him. And what we do as men sometimes, and let's just be honest with each other, God has called us as men and as fathers to a very specific role through Scripture. It says it all right here, Ephesians 6. We see it in Genesis. There's so many things that God calls us men to do as dads and as fathers and as men of God. And sometimes we send our wives and our kids to do the role that God has called us to do. And God's like, no, no, don't send a boy to do something I've called you to do. We are responsible. I'm talking to us guys now. As men, we're responsible to lead our family, to disciple our children, to protect our family, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually as well. We are responsible to guard the hearts of our wives and, and our kids. You know, I was thinking about this, like, in, in our family. Like, so, y'all know Ra Rachel is one of the sweetest, kindest person. If y'all have never hung out with Rachel, you can't be mad at her, right? She's a social worker. She loves helping people. She loves talking to people. That's, that's who she is. That's how God designed her. But there's times where people take advantage of kindness. But she doesn't see that. So 
my role as a husband and as a father is to step into that gap and guard her heart and, and protect her from people that might be trying to take advantage of her kindness and calling because she won't see that. Now, how do I do that? I don't go to her and say, hey, man, they're trying to hustle you. Don't, you better give her a run. You better get away. No. <laughs> like, don't listen to them. They're crazy. No, what I do is I step in the in-between, right? I start asking questions. I might go to that person and be like, hey, so what's going on? Like, I, I've heard that you're talking to You see, so I'm, I'm guarding my wife's heart this way. And as men and as fathers, God has called us to do this. It's very important for us to do this. And I know a lot of us measure strength by three things. And this is something I read somewhere. It's, it's the ball field, the bedroom, and the boardroom. So as men, we're thinking about, like, providing financially, you know, my, my status as far as the opposite sex goes, and sports. And that's kind of what we look at. But anybody could bench 300 pounds if you train enough or if you take steroids, but whatever. Anybody could lose weight. Any, anybody could do these things. You could learn a sport. You could do all these things. You could fix things. But are you able to do the things that are really difficult, like get home from an exhausting day of work and give all of your kids your undivided attention? Can you disconnect from your phone? Can you show up even though your dog tired? Can you listen? Those are the things that are difficult. But those are also the things that God has called us to. So God called Gideon to take the Midianites out, not his son. So Gideon's trying to pass, and it says because he was a boy, he wasn't able to do it. So as men and as fathers, we have got to understand our role that God has given us to do and the work that we're supposed to do and understand it is not your wife's role and it is not your kid's role. It is your role. You are the spiritual head of the household. It is up to you to lead your family spiritually, not your wife's. All right, we got to move on. So don't send a boy to do a man's job. Understand the, the calling that God has given us. All right, number three is real strength is found in what you do, not just in what you say. Real strength is found in what you do, not just in what you say. You know, the two kings kind of threw this out there in verse 21. Look what verse 21 says. Sorry, I'm looking for it. There it goes. It goes, as is the man, so is his strength. That's interesting. You see, we live in a society where everybody knows the right answers. We could Google it. We, could, we know what to say. But as fathers and as dads and as men of God, people are watching you. They're watching us. They're watching not just what we speak, but they're watching how we act. You know what I find interesting with the, uh, when it comes to fathers and dads, you know, the longer I become a father and a dad, the more I start noticing things. And one thing I see is that fathers are fixers. Dads love to fix stuff. Have you ever seen a group of dad or dads around a car that don't work? I have. I've been there. And we're, we're standing around and we're trying to figure out why this thing doesn't turn on. And there's always that one dad that knows nothing about cars, but he, he throws in his eight cents. He's like, yeah, I think like the fuel line's not going to the catalytic converter, so it doesn't turn on. And all the dads look at him like, 
But, you know, you're invited. You're invited. You're trying to fix it like us. It makes no sense what you said, but it's okay. Come on in. But here's the thing. When, with, with us being fixers, that's how God designed us to be. We, we want to help the situation. When things go wrong, we want to try to make things right. That is kind of how God wired us as men and as dads and as fathers. We don't just like, sit back and let the world implode around us. We want to help. We want to fix things. But because of this, we tend to lean on the side of always looking at situations and always looking at life through the things that are wrong because we want to fix stuff instead of the things that are going right. So the question I have for us is, how do I know what is good and what is wrong? How do I determine what is right and wrong? Like, how, how do I not see things in one light and, and when really they should be in another? Because, honestly, if you look at Gideon, the situation that he had with his 300 guys, they, they just won this amazing war. God turned the Midianites on, like, over to each other. They killed them, and like 125,000 gone. They didn't have to pick up a sword. And as Gideon's going, he's like, my men are exhausted. They need bread. And then two cities turn them down. That situation could have easily turned Gideon. And he could have easily just turned into a complainer and stopped going after the kings and just said, you know what, forget it. We're tired. We're hungry. It's not working. Forget it. But how do you do that as a guy? How do we look at things? And really the answer is found in Colossians chapter 3. So let's go to Colossians 3. It's just three quick verses here. Because we've got to understand something about Gideon's. And what I want us to understand too is that we've got to learn not to look at the faults of the world, but start focusing on the faithfulness of our God. And when you start looking at the faithfulness of God instead of the faults of the world, your mind shifts. It's not about trying to fix something now. It's about following something and trusting something that is way bigger and better than you. It changes your perspective. Look what it says in Colossians. Let's read a couple verses. Since then... You have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what is Paul telling us? He's like, there's two things that you need to set up on things above. Your what? Your mind and your what? Your heart. You set your mind and your heart on the things above. So whenever you're in a, a, a situation, your perspective changes because you're focusing on the things of God and not on the faults of this world. You know, we saw this in Honduras. You know, we could go on a trip like Honduras. And, and I'll be honest with you, there were some difficult situations. It was hard for some of us. But if I focus only on how long it took us to get there, the crying babies on the plane, 
the, the crema that I cannot stand. It was rough for me, right? Or, or the slow pace of the trip or like I wasn't able to get sleep because the roosters crowed at 3.30 in the morning. If I focus solely on that, then my mind is how do I fix next time I go over there? But if I focus on God's faithfulness, like, man, everybody raised the money on time. That's only something that God can do. You know what? Like, we were able to get over there. That's only something. And we didn't have no, like, delays, no flight cancellations, praise God, because that would have been crazy. We were able to meet some great people, Pastor Sebastian and his wife. We started seeing, like, their personality turn, and, and we were able to do all these amazing things. You see, that is what I'm going to focus on. All this other stuff, whatever, that's going to come and go. But it's the, the heavenly, the eternal. So as dads, we need to start looking at situations on how you could, on the faithfulness of God, not the faultiness of this world. You know, when I, when I so the way that I, I saw this um, in Honduras, they took us on a coffee tour. Um, so we got to go coffee tasting. Any coffee lovers in here? Yeah, there's a couple. John has both of his hands up like this. <laughs> Get John a bunch of coffee, man, just for Christmas. No, like, Stevie is in the same boat. Stevie would be like, boo. Um, but they, they took us on a tour, and we had a taste test, like 12 coffees. Yeah, it was like groups of like, no, it was 16. It's groups of four, all in this table. And you had to go, and you had to, like, slurp the coffee and then spit it back out because it's, like, 7.30 at night, and you're not going to sleep, all the caffeine. Also, he told us the stuff you drink at Starbucks is about, like, 12 to 13% caffeine. The stuff in Honduras is 75% caffeine. Yeah, it's that good stuff, right? I'm going to leave that there. All right, so I'm going to cut it up. No, just, all right. So, calm down, William. All right, so, <laughs> But we went around, and we were supposed to try every single cup of coffee, and then we had to rank. Like, there's four groups. So each group was, like, from worst to the best, and I failed miserably. Like, I really did. So my best one was, like, the third worst, and then my worst one was the first best. <laughs> it was embarrassing. And I took some. I was like, oh, it tastes burnt and, like, just flavor it. I, and the guy's like, interesting. Oh, that's real interesting. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's our best one. I was like, oh, failure. <laughs> I knew that, bro. I was like, and then I try to save myself, like, is that this one is one I could drink with everything, um, which is not true. But, but he's like, the best one, you only need like one cup a day, and you're good to go all day long. You don't need to drink a bunch of stuff. So what's the point of this? Um, something that he told me was this. He said, everybody that works for us, and this is something I caught, only drinks the best coffee here. Because I want them to know that wherever they travel, when they don't have the best, they're going to recognize that it's not from us. It's something totally different. And I was thinking, how do you set your mind and heart from the things above? Easy. You only focus on the best. So that way, when the world creeps in, you're going to be like, no, that ain't from us. That is not from us. Because I'm so used to taking in what's good and what's, what's from God. So when something comes that's not good and from God, I'm be like, nope, that's bootleg. This is what's real. That's how you set your hearts and mind from the things above. You don't focus on what's terrible. You focus on what is amazing, which is the stuff from the Lord. 
But we've got to shift our minds and we have got to stop focusing on the faultiness of the world because we want to fix it. No, you focus on God's faithfulness regardless of the faultiness of the world because our God is sovereign and he's the one that puts things in order. And then the last thing, and we'll end with this, the last one is the city Peniel. What can we learn from Peniel? Some of y'all are looking at me like, well, Ricky, like Gideon went, he ripped the tower down and uh, killed all the men. So what, what is there to learn from that? All right, so I'm not going to read all the verses just for time's sake, but I want you guys to trek with me a little bit here. Because whenever there's cities and names, we have got to look and study those because there's there's, there's, there's history behind it in the scripture. Peniel actually means face of God. Where did this come from? So let's go back to Genesis chapter 32. You guys remember the story of Esau and Jacob? And if not, you should read it. It's great. So Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob stole Esau's blessing. So he, he sold it, Esau sold it for a bowl of caldo de res, and he took it, and, and then he, he, he kind of like hustled his dad a little bit, because Isaac was blind, so he felt his arms, he gave. So look what, so when we study the Bible, we got to look at the history of this. So we see in, in uh, Genesis 27, Jacob, after two decades, is finally going to go meet back up with Esau. And he's bringing 400 men with him. So Jacob starts to send gifts because he has no idea the reaction that Esau is going to give him. He starts to send out some gifts. Then he sends his, his wives and all his like property. And he sends everything to kind of buffer the meeting between him and Esau. And this is all in Genesis chapter 32. So after Jacob sends everyone, he's alone that night. And that night, he has an encounter with an angel. And the word of the Lord says that, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched his socket on Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said to him, let me go for it is daybreak. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said to him, asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered. Then the man said, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask of my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. This is all in Genesis 32. In the book of Hosea, it says that this man was an angel. I know we've talked about this is probably a Christophany that, that Jacob wrestled with. So what are you saying, Rick? Because the next 500 years, Peniel is mentioned in the scriptures a couple more times. Here in Judges, where Gideon comes, wrecks the tower, and kills all the men. 
We also see it in 1 Kings chapter 12, where um, the city of Jeroboam fortified after the 10 northern tribes rebel. There's that word, rebel against Solomon's son. And then he was crowned. And then finally, we see it in the lineage of Benjamin in 1 Chronicles chapter 2. Ricky, what's the point? The city of Peniel was tremendously impactful for the life of Jacob. He had an encounter with God. He even called it the face of God. And it changed the legacy of Jacob for the rest of his life. It changed the, the, everything for Jacob. So how come when we read it in Judges, all it talks about is a town where men were killed and the, the, the tower was knocked down? Why doesn't it mention Jacob? And what I want us to know is this. A place of holy encounter to one generation can easily become a spot on a map for the next generation. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, And there was a generation that arose that did not know the Lord. Dads, listen. Your legacy is not going to be how much money you've made, how fast you could run, the amount of kids you have, whatever you left for your family. That's all, those are all great things. Your legacy is going to be this. What are you leaving your family and your kids behind? Is it going to be like Jacob where it's like this, this is a holy moment. This is something that's going to last for generation to generation. Or is it just going to be another spot on the map? Because you dropped the ball. Peniel's important. So today as we end, my, my prayer is this as dads. Understand legacy. Understand legacy. Disciple your kids. Lead your family well with God's word. Because it is, in this, it is so quickly that things could just fall apart. And I'll just say this. This is how you break cycles in a broken family system. If your family is going through the same cycle over and over and divorced and ramped it over, this is how you break it. You don't let the generation after you go without knowing Christ. So today, if you're struggling, if you're like, man, Ricky, I dropped the ball. Listen, it's okay because we have the cross and we have the resurrection. And there's a new beginning today. So I just want to encourage us men, don't, don't be Peniel. Be, I saw God and I lived to tell about it. And that's through Jesus Christ. We pray for us and then we have some, some fun stuff with dads. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you because you are a good God and you're faithful to us. Even when we, we tend to fail or we fall into our flesh, God. We know that your grace covers us. We know that your forgiveness covers us, Father. Well, Lord, I, I pray, God, that we are dads and we become men who keep our word full of integrity and, and character, God. We are men to do what you have assigned us to do, that the calling that you've put on our lives. We are men who just don't talk about it, but we also lead in our strength. And we focus on the things above, not on the faults of this world. And lastly, we're men of legacy. And we understand that legacy is just one generation away from falling out. So God, help us to continue the legacy of being faithful to you and followers of Christ throughout our families.
And Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen.